Unplanned change. Most people don't take to very well, do we? Ever walked out in the morning to a flat tire? I walked out one morning, actually, about 20 years ago to a gone car. That's uh, it's quite, a, quite a change that I didn't plan on. Um, those things kind of take us back. They take us by surprise, and, and usually in a bad way. It's been said, though, that the only thing constant is change. Whether we like it or not, change is, is coming, and it continues to come, and continues to come, and continues to come. I've been speaking of cars. I've been pricing tires for my truck lately. <sighs> Talking about a sticker shock. I'm, I'm, I'm going to spend close to $1,000 on a set of four tires. I can remember the first set of tires I ever bought. I bought a, a set, four tires, for 100 bucks. Actually, it's under 100 bucks. It's 90, 98 bucks and change. Well, those days are gone, and I see the ever-creeping uh, wallet out, you know, going and going and going. It's, it's change occurs. It, change, it, it occurs in prices. It occurs in food. It occurs in relationships. It occurs in jobs and careers. Change, change is just a constant. But as we see, as we'll see in the, in the four encounters we're going to look at today from three different passages of Scripture, we'll be in Matthew 28. We're going to begin to turn there to begin with. We're going to see in, these, in, the, in this text that... Change can be a good thing. In fact, it can be a great thing. It can move us into a place where we didn't realize it was even possible before. We didn't realize it could even be true for us before. And we're going to look at four encounters here, first with the guards and Magdalene and Jesus and, and ourselves, uh, of how change takes place all because someone showed up to an empty tomb and they were changed. And we can do that as well day after day after day. Matthew 28, verses 1 to 15, follow along with me. After the Sabbath had dawned, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, go to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you're to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while you were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The resurrection, first of all, changed the guards. We just read 11 to 15 together uh, of how they, they come and give this report. And, and the, this text says, so they took the money and did as they were instructed. Well, that's not altogether true because at least one of them, and probably all of them, in fact, the truth be known, at least one of them didn't, didn't keep his mouth shut because Matthew knows about it and writes about it here, and we're reading it today. So one, one didn't keep it. And would you? I mean, if you were on the guards and you see this and, you go back and you're given a large sum of money to keep your mouth shut. What's the first thing you're going to do when you get home? Honey, you never, you never believe what I saw today. Or sitting around the dinner table, how was your day? <laughs> Let me tell you, this earthquake came. 
I mean, you're going to tell that story whether, whether you got money for it or not. That story is going to be told over and over again. And we stand here today as recipients of the truth that these guards were shook up. And they were changed at that, at, at that very scene in that, in that place that day. And as we know, the, the, as this story tells us, their, their perceived silence, at least, was purchased and bought and paid for. Why is that true? Because the minds and hearts of these guards were changed, and these chief priests knew it. They heard it in their voice. They saw it in the countenance of their face and their complexion. There was fear had gripped these guys, as we see in this story. In fact, verse 4 tells us that. It said, the guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. In other words, they started trembling and then fainted after the trembling. And so these guys were shaken up. And, and as, as even, even whether or not money's involved and, and lives had to be purchased, and they attempted to be, but wasn't successful. What we find that to be true is an encounter with the miraculous power of God changes people. It changes, it changes them. And it changes us. An encounter to see his miracle-working power changes us. To see God step in and do something that only God can do changes us. Show of hands where you've seen that in your life. Either God is, he's, he's encouraged you. He's, he's, he's redeemed you. He's, he's healed you. He's forgiven you. And over and over and over that story can be told in us where that's an only God thing. That's something only God could have done in that moment and in that instance. And it's true for us. It changes us. We... we each of us have stories to tell about those encounters, whether they were, as I say, for all of us, from salvation forward, whether they were from healing, whether they were from redemption, whether they were from rescue, uh, regardless of what the change is and how we saw his, his miracle-working power show up, it has shown up in us, and God's power showed up here in this instance to change the status quo. And that's what he's up to in us, is to take the status quo, to turn it on its ear and say, I'm God, and I'm not going to be confined by this and that and this and that. I will not. I refuse to. And so... We see him step into an otherwise tame moment and make something supernatural out of it. And he does that again and again and again. If we'll seek him and show up, the guards were there in the place to see it that day and saw it, and it changed their lives. It changed their futures. I guarantee they, were, they left changed with a total, totally different view of Jesus than when they had gone to the tomb to guard it, supposedly in the first place. The resurrection changed these two guards or more, and it changes us. Secondly, the resurrection changed Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. Turn to John chapter 20. And this is a, the best account or, or best account of her encounter at this place. Verses, verses 11 to 18 of John 20. Follow along with me. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He said to, you, to her, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and to your father, and to my God, and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, and she told him all that he had said these things to her. Now, her, again, here's Magdalene showing up in the right place, right time, and it says here that her message to the rest of the disciples, I have seen the Lord, meaning I physically beheld his presence in my presence. And so the other gospel accounts here tell us that Mary ran in fact, the gospel account we saw in Matthew, Mary ran from the tomb to tell the rest of them. Now, 
They were probably either one at her house in in Magdala, which is basically the little bedroom community of Jerusalem, which would have been probably about a half mile to a mile run from where the tomb was, or more likely because the other Mary, Mary the sister of Martha, was with Mary at the tomb, were more likely and and more often staying at their house, Mary and Martha's house in Bethany, which is about a five mile. So Mary's getting it. Mary Magdalene's getting it. She's running back to, with news, back to the rest of the disciples to tell them this story of, I've seen the Lord. Can you imagine her blowing the doors down in this place and and trying to get get the words out of, I've seen the Lord after after perhaps even a five or six mile run. Telling this story, why? Running the whole way, why? Because she had an encounter with the risen Christ and it changed her, It, it changed her outlook. Why did she do that? She experienced something immediate, and eternal at the same time. When he showed up and spoke to her and she realized who it was, her, 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 her vision and her outlook was immediately changed and she started to look through an eternal lens. I speak of that often, looking at life through an eternal lens. And she did that instantly. Why? Because he, there he was in front of her, uh, standing as the Lord in his glorified state. We'll look at that more in just a moment. But she was changed instantly and immediately and eternally from that moment on. What does that say to us? That God will use your story of your encounter with him to change the lives of other folks. He did that in her that day. He'll do that in you every day. But we've got to tell our story. We've got to say, here's what he's done for me. Here's what he's done in me. Here's what he's doing in me today. and can do the same thing in you. Mary, notice here, didn't physically or even audibly recognize Jesus until he spoke her name. He said, Mary. And she recognized him who it was. She didn't recognize him physically. His, his appearance physically was different to her. She didn't, didn't recognize who he was and couldn't hear his countenance or his, his, his cadence as he would normally, as he spoke in human form, as he asked her, who is it you're looking for? What's going on? She didn't recognize the, the questions, but when he spoke her name, Mary, instantly a light came on for her. This is God. This is the Lord. This is Jesus. And so I'm here today to say he knows your name. He knows your circumstance. He knows your hidden secrets. He knows your, your deepest and darkest need. He knows every tomorrow you'll ever face. He knows that because he knows exactly who you are. She got that. She, she, she went to the tomb looking for him and found him, not like she had, she had gone looking for him, but found him to, 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 to walk away different and eternally changed. Why? Because she recognized who he was when he spoke her name. He knows our name. He turned Magdalene's world upside down at the temple courts in John 8. You know the story of the Pharisees bringing her to Jesus in John 8 and cast her down probably half naked in front of him and caught him in the act of adultery and says the, the, the law says we should stone her but what do you say Jesus and you know his story or his, his response okay those of you without sin pick up the first rock start slinging you start hearing rocks hitting the ground why because we're all with sin and he says Mary where or woman actually where are your accusers and she looks up none Lord then go and sin no more he rocked her world that day. He rocked it again this day. And he does that for us over and over and over and over again. Why? Because she chose to show up. It's that simple. If we will do that, and really oftentimes that's all we've got to do is just step into a place where we are willing to find him, willing to hear from him, willing to see him, willing to show up to be who he's called us to be. And sometimes it's just that simple, friend. It's as simple as showing up in the right place to say, God, here I am. I don't know what you have for me. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know, I don't know what, 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 what my health may be. I don't know what my future may be. I don't know what this marriage holds. I don't know what my job, but I'm, I'm walking it with you. 
Whatever you say, I'm in with you. I'm, I'm, I'm all in. And she found that that day because she chose to show up and be there in the right place, right time. It changed her. Resurrection changed the guards. It changed Mary Magdalene. And thirdly, the resurrection changed Jesus. Staying here in the 20th chapter of, of John, look at verse, verses 14 and 17 with me together. Verse 14 <clears throat> says, uh, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. And down in verse 17 says, Jesus said, don't hold on to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Now, he says, don't, don't hold on to me. And that response is, many, or most, in fact, theologians believe it's because Jesus was in a, what they refer to as a glorified state, meaning he had thrown off the encumbrances and, and the limitations that this, this earthly body gives us and has on us. And he no longer had those earthly limitations. He was in his glorified heavenly form, more or less. That's why physically she didn't recognize who he was. There's great news for that, for us in that, in, in, in the sense that there, there is physical, perfected, glorified change in us, is that there'll be no more cancer in the glorified state. There'll be no more loss in the glorified state. There'll be no more hurt. There'll be no more questions. There'll be no more misunderstanding in the glorified state. There'll be no more back problems in the glorified state. There'll be no more arthritis in the glorified state. Why? Because we're physically perfect. We're physically as we were designed to be from the very beginning. And she saw him that way, in fact, didn't even recognize him because he was physically in a perfected state, in, in, in a glorified heavenly state. No more weight problems in, in, in the glorified state. No, in the glorified state, we're perfected. In fact, we, were, we, we, we will be who he has designed for us to be, how he has designed for us to look and be and walk and think and, and do. Not only are we changed physically, but he was changed intellectually, emotionally. Uh, as well, spiritually at the same time, meaning there'll be no lack of understanding in the glorified state. There'll be no depression in the glorified state. There'll be no suffering in the glorified state. There'll be no, be no questions go unanswered because we'll understand everything in the glorified state, in the perfected state. That's the state he was in and the state that we, are, we will be called to, uh, hopefully very soon. No struggle with temptation in the glorified state. Uh, no lack of understanding. The wait is over, and I, I, often, I often speak of this, where... I often speak of destiny and destination. And I, what I mean is, is destiny in terms of what he has planned for us and called us here and destination of what that ultimately looks like there. And this is the place, this glorified state, where destiny and destination find themselves coming together, where we find ourselves in, the, in a perfected state as we are either resurrected or he comes again, whichever occurs first. We find ourselves in this perfected glorified state totally in his presence and destiny and destination have met. And God's plan and purpose for us are perfect and we're living it out physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in every way because we are who we were designed to be from creation before the fall of man. The wait is over. And friend, if a resurrection changed a perfect, sinless, spotless Jesus, if it changed him, can you imagine the drastic change in you and me? Can you imagine how significant that's going to be for you and I to walk out of this earth suit and into a heavenly suit? To walk out of arthritis and out of pain and out of cancer and out of whatever it is into a perfected state, out of a lack of understanding, out of a lack of knowledge, out of a lack of getting it, into understanding it all and seeing it all. If you can wrap your mind around that, you're smarter than me. A lot of people are smarter than me because I can't wrap my I can't wrap my mind around the fact that whew, to go from this to that, like that, and it will be that way for you and I. I'm looking forward to that day. Uh, in fact, the older I get, 
the more I look forward to that day. The, the, the closer to that day I get, I, I hope we see his return before I die. I'm planning on that, actually. I don't want to be old. I don't, it bothers me, that, it doesn't bother me, but do you ever get, look at 90-year-old, 100-year-old people and think, why don't you just go on? You know? And I don't mean that cruelly at all, but I, I don't know what there is. If you're a believer now, if you're, if you're an unbeliever, throw all that out the window. Live as long as you can if you're an unbeliever. This is all there is. But if you're a believer, why would you want to hang on? The older I get, the, the, the more I long to go and, and, and be done with pettiness and foolishness and callousness toward God in, in this, on, on this earth. And, and that's probably just me. I've got a weird mind. I understand that. But the closer I saw my mom and dad get to that, the more they longed for it and the more it taught me maybe there's something there to long for that I'm not seeing. And the older I get and the wiser I become, hopefully, the more I see what I'm missing. It changed the guards. It changed Magdalene. It changed Jesus. And it'll change us, finally. The resurrection changes us. Turn to Acts chapter 17. And we'll, we'll look in the 17th chapter of Acts, verses 28 to 31 together. Acts 17, 28 to 31 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we were God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. That appointed man is the, is the one who came out of the grave, he says. But he says in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Paul's referring here to that glorified state, that perfected state, where we look ultimately like he looked when he came out of the tomb. We don't physically resemble the way we did before, nor do we live and walk that way. The state, this, this state of being resurrected, as he talks about in verse 31, is when transformation occurs. Transformation from lack of understanding to understanding. Transformation from frailty to perfection. Transformation from not getting it to seeing it all. Transformation from death to life. What can be more drastic than that? The knowledge of some, some things in life changes, don't they? Knowing something changes us. Getting, getting a cancer diagnosis changes us, doesn't it? It changes us. Losing a loved one changes us. The knowledge of that. The knowledge of a spouse or, or coming home and saying, I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. It changes us. The kind of knowing, knowing those things change us. They change how we see the world. It, it jades our view of life and of things, and, and understandably so. But the knowledge of some things changes. The knowledge that we want to be perfected in a glorified state should change us. It should cause us to do several things, one of which is, as I said earlier, to long for it, to pursue it, to try and walk in that way here, to try and see life through that lens here. Hard? Yeah, it is. Because we live in a carnal, broken place, a fallen world. And to see perfection among brokenness is difficult, but it's contagious. You see, if we can start to see life through perfected, glorified, eternal lens in a broken world, it needs to see Christ. People will be drawn to that sense, of, that sense of thought and understanding and purpose and direction and passion, living that life out. The knowledge of things changes, because, and the knowledge that because he is resurrected, we will be too, should change us. The knowledge that because he lived again, we'll live again, should change us. Why? Because death has no threat to that person. 
Sickness is no threat to that person. Why? Because I understand the outcome. I see the end of the story. I know that it's going to be how this turns out. He was transformed into perfection. We, we, we will be too. He had no limitations. We won't either. Uh, the fact that heaven is our home and this, this place is a cheap imitation should change us. It should change our outlook, our view. Uh, in fact, that kind of knowledge should change us every day. And it begins with the guards. It went to Magdalene. It really, it goes to anybody like you and I who show up like she did to the tomb to say, I came to, to find out if Jesus is really dead. And he said he was going to rise again. And there he is. He just spoke my name. It was true. What he said was true. I can count on his word. I can count on the things he said to me because there he stands in front of me. The knowledge of those kind of things can and should change us. But here's the deal. That, that kind of knowledge, that kind of change is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. This world, the scripture says, if you live three score and ten, you've lived 70 years, basically, you've lived a blessed life. And perhaps... But when you see, when you get a glimpse of what is waiting, when you get a glimpse of this glorified, perfected state, that ought to change the way we see this world. And it should. Does it do that? Well, question and observation, and we're going to wrap up, and that's this. Have you experienced that kind of change in your faith journey? Have you seen that kind of change in your faith journey? If not, what happened? Likely, we've either lost sight of what we have been saved from, meaning we need to get a glimpse of what our life could have been apart from the mercy and grace of God. Apart from the home that I was born in and the time I was born in, where you were born in, apart from how God has blessed you, what, what could your life have been? What, I, what, I, what, have I, what have I been saved from? Heaven will reveal that to you and I. I can imagine today what I've been saved from, and heaven will reveal all of that. But more importantly, what have we been saved to? What has God redeemed us to? If we could class, class a glimpse of what we have been saved from, and more importantly, what we have been saved and are being saved to, if we can see those two things distinctly, I think it's going to cause us to look at life through a different lens, and we will experience the kind of change that each one of these folks experienced having met with the resurrected Christ. If we can't see that, if neither of those are true, then we either need to show up to reconnect with him, or we need to show up to introduce ourselves to him for the first time. And if you're here today and that's never occurred, you've never been introduced to him for the first time, never been in a relationship with him that's permanent and personal, I invite you to do that today before you leave. Please see me after, after worship. So I'd love to share with you how to pray to receive Christ because none of this makes sense. It's all theory until you know him. When you know him, the scripture says the spirit comes in to reside, to give you understanding into truth. He, the, the, the spirit balances the scripture with our, our, with our finite mind to give us understanding in things we can't yet see. And so... As we receive him, he gives us understanding into the fact that it, it, it goes from factual to, to, to practical. It goes from theory to being lived out and being real in my heart. Why? Because the Spirit has said, yes, this is true for you. If you know him, you know that sense. If you don't, you don't. Either way, we have to show up. We have to show up to reconnect. We have to show up to connect for the first time with him. We will leave, I promise you, leave changed when we do that. You reconnect with the risen Christ today, you're going to leave changed. If you reconnect, if you connect for the first time with the risen Christ, you're going to leave changed. And we should. And our lives and our conversation and our attitudes and our spirits should reflect that kind of change in relationships that we touch every day. Is our story being told? I'll tell you, these guards told the story. We just read it again today. Magdalene ran with all she had to tell the story. We just read it again today. He changed those folks. He can do that in us. Our story needs to be told.
over and over again of what he's done for me to change me. And he can change you too. Let's pray.